Welcome back, WIT listeners. We are kicking off the month of June with Lauren Ricketts, meteorologist with NBC Washington and WTOP 103.5 FM. Lauren graduated from Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia, interned with WRIC's John Bernier in Richmond, worked under the guidance of Sue Palka, became the chief meteorologist at TV3 Winchester, and returned to D.C. working with Doug Hill and Bob Ryan prior to landing her current position at NBC Washington, where she is currently the morning and weekend morning meteorologist. She is active in the D.C. community and has provided weather forecasting for Sirius XM Sports Fantasy, as well as other various platforms nationwide. I am super, super (laughs) excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lauren Ricketts. I am flattered that you asked me to come on to this for such a great topic as well. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from. I'm from Virginia. I'm from Winchester, Virginia, which is in the Shenandoah Valley, the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains surrounding us. Um, I grew up there, born and raised. My family, uh, six generations have grown up uh, in the Shenandoah Valley. And uh, I, I, I grew up there. I went to school just outside of Richmond at Randolph-Macon College. And um, from there, I decided that, you know, I wanted to pursue uh, a degree in meteorology and, and uh, really pursue my passion for weather. So uh, I started interning, as you said in my introduction, which is so good, uh, with a, uh, an ABC station down in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and that was under the guidance of John Bernier. And then John actually knew a woman here in D.C., a local weather legend. Her name is Sue Palka. And she's been in the business for decades. And I, I worked under her for several summers. And uh, then I just realized this is what I want to do. Uh, so I've been being a meteorologist for now. It's almost been, oh my gosh, if I have to count it up, it's been uh, 20 years or so that I have been a meteorologist in the mid-Atlantic. And currently I'm working at the number one station here in Washington, D.C., which is the NBC station. And and as you said, I am the morning and um, a morning broadcast meteorologist for WTOP and sometimes week uh, morning fill-in for our uh, other meteorologist, Chuck Bell. And then I do weekends primarily uh, in the mornings. And uh, I, I love every second of it. So uh, there is my little story about how I got into meteorology. I just absolutely love it. I have a huge passion for weather and science, to be uh, frank. I just absolutely love my job and love where I am right now. <laughs> That's so fantastic. And how did you even get started in that field, especially in meteorology? I know, you know, at, at a young age, you're, you're saying you want to do this when yep. you get, grow older. Yeah. But how do you even start with saying, I want to yeah. speak weather? So my dad was in construction and he'd be up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. And honestly, we got Channel 4 out in Winchester and and we still have the D.C. stations out in Winchester, Virginia. So Channel 4 was the big one back in the 80s. And he would watch Bob Ryan, who I ended up actually working with. And he would watch the morning. He would watch in the evening. And one time I looked on TV and I said, that's what I want to do. That looks awesome. That looks cool. I want to do whatever that is. And and my dad always knew what the weather was going to be because he had to. It was part of his job, you know, in the construction business. He had to know whether it was going to rain, whether it was going to snow. So we called him the weatherman. And I just kind of tacked onto that saying, that's what I'm going to do. So I just kind of followed that dream. I think it was at seven or eight. 
that I decided uh, that I, I saw him watching TV and I, I just kind of made up my mind and I never changed it. I pursued that. I through middle school, through high school, it just never faded. And I just had that passion kind of instilled in me at that young age that this is what I'm going to do. I looked and I was like, that looks like a fun job. And lucky enough, I actually got to get into that field and kind of live out my dream. Yeah. And that's amazing because I feel like it's great that you were exposed at such a young yeah. age and you understood why the weather was so important. It was definitely important yeah. for your dad's job. Yeah. But, you know, like, what do you think we should do as a society to, to really try to inspire girls to be, you know, enter in more STEM fields well, um, and even empower women? Too? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think that's so important. And so I, I had the guidance of my dad. I mean, he was like, yeah, let's let you go do that. That sounds awesome. I'd love to have a daughter that knows the weather. And the crazy thing was my next door neighbor had a telescope. That also kind of fueled me in science as well. So I'd go over at nights during the summer and he would teach me anything and everything he knew about space by looking in that telescope. And he kind of also instilled that science mind in me as well and how things work, not only weather, but how it's all related, how it comes from space. So introducing girls to that at a young age, I think is going to be really the most important thing. I have a hard time sometimes talking to school visits because I'm like, science is so cool. Like you guys should just follow it. It's so awesome. And we need to show kids, especially young girls, women, how great science is and empower them and instill that confidence that they can do it. And one of the things that I think is the best thing for them show them real life examples. So yes. yeah. So I'll go to a school visit and I'll say, Hey, listen, how many of you guys like science? And everybody will raise their hand. And then I'll kind of break it down by gender. And I say, okay, how many, how many guys, how many girls, how many of you guys like math? And I tend to see, especially in the elementary school age, that number, especially for females, goes down quite a bit. I get sad about that because I will say I was not a math person. I loved science. I wasn't a math person. It didn't click for me. I had to work incredibly hard to find my path to make math click for me. And I think girls tend to give up uh, a little yes. easier. So if we can find a way to build their confidence, to teach them, to make it fun, to make it interactive, I think that is one of the stepping stones to get young women interested in science. I also think we've done well so far as society in the last, I'd say, decade, introducing different toys. They're, they're not as gender restrictive as they used to be. You know, boys played with this, girls played with that, or what's whatever. Uh, now it's, you know, Barbies are NASA. They're astronauts. Yes. You know, they're, they're veterinarians. They are not the societal norms of the 50s and 60s. So I think we are coming along with that uh, in a way, and it's continuing to build. And if we can just keep on this trend of saying how important science is, how fun science is, and that you can do this and you can break down barriers like these role models of women, these real life women figures. I think that it's going to bode well for females in the science industry, in the STEM industry going forward. Yeah. And you're completely right about that. I'm so glad that you're also going to the high schools yeah. or middle schools and just letting them know like, yeah. hey, here, I did it and you yep. can too. Yep. And, yeah. you know, maybe you're not into math right now, but that's okay. Yep. It's still part of it. Yep. But 
there, there are all these other venues and elements. Of course. And, and you know, one thing I, I'm always saying, don't give up just because you hit one math, you know, class that may be yes. extremely difficult. Every math class I had, it was incredibly difficult for me. Uh, and look where I am right now. And I, and I do use math to some extent, not as much as I did when I was going through my coursework. But, you know, I had to find a way to make it work because I had such a passion for meteorology. I had such a passion for weather. So I was going to do it either way and make it work either way. Yeah. Now, I, I, I would like to ask this question because yeah. how has technology in meteorology changed since you started? And I ask that because all I remember are the weather almanacs. <laughs> yes, yes. And they still have those as well. Um, it, it's changed a lot. So, I, you know, I started interning in the early 2000s. So that is 21 years ago in, in Richmond. And John Bernier was one of the best meteorologists that I've ever worked with in terms of how science-minded he was. I mean, he was still drawing surface maps. A lot of the data that I got at that point in time was still raw data, which means it was just numbers. And you had to put it together kind of to figure out a big puzzle what exactly was happening in the atmosphere. So, you know, you got this old computer shooting out numbers to you. Now everything's digitized and everything now is coming across as a broad picture of everything. So I can look at data and it's now just not raw numbers. It's in the form of precip over the next 96 hours or snowfall wow. accumulation over the next 96 hours, something that I didn't have 20 years ago. And I'm very appreciative of that, that I did have that 20 years ago because I did have that uh, experience. It was a lot more difficult for meteorologists back in the 90s, back in the 80s and prior to that to try to figure out exactly what was happening in the upper levels of the atmosphere because you're doing a lot of the math work. But now everything is all digital, thank goodness. And so <laughs> that is kind of how technology has changed so much for the better. And of course, weather forecasting in general, our data is just getting better. Our satellite data shooting down is just getting better. So I, you know, everything uh, is getting better across the board in terms of the meteorology field and in terms of weather forecasting. Especially in our area. Yes. Because snow, you know, is a big deal. <laughs> yes, snow it is. In our area. And I feel like now it's just whether it's the next 30 minutes, you guys can really tell us what's going to go on. We can. And now I will say, I mean, there have been a couple snowstorms, especially this last year and uh, <laughs> going into 2020. There's still going to be those those snows that maybe we get a little freezing rain cuts down on totals. Maybe it just quite misses us a little bit. So, you know, weather forecasting is just that. It's still forecasting. It's not an exact science. You're still looking into the future. But boy, has it gotten a lot better than it has 20 years ago, you know, uh, so we're still working on that technology. But as I said, it's advancing as we go through each year. Wow. And so I can tell even our listeners, I'm sure can tell right now that you are so passionate about <laughs> this. So what really drives your ambition? What inspires you to continue to grow? Listen, one of my only things in life was to make it into the DC market. I worked in Richmond. I worked at a TV station that was 300 market uh, in Winchester, Virginia, which is actually where I was from. And it's just, it was a startup ABC station, but you know, it was an incredibly small, small little shop. And all I wanted to do was get to DC. I had a um, kind of a goal to get to DC by the time I was 33. I think I was about 34 by the time I started at WJLA Channel 7, uh, actually on air. But I continue to grow because I'm so lucky that I'm in mm -hmm. now where I am. 
I set a goal for myself and I was like, okay, I want to get there. Never thought I was going to make it to the number one station in DC, made it there. And so that continues to drive me because I know how fortunate I am. There's so mm -hmm. many people that want this job. And listen, we've got a shop of five meteorologists, five meteorologists. There's not a lot of meteorologist positions in the DC market. So there's very few of us. And to make it here, you got to be on top of your game. You got to be good. So that continues to drive me. Now, if I get a forecast wrong, I will go through every piece of information <laughs> to figure out why I got it wrong and what I can do next time to get it right. And I even get upset if I say, hey, it's going to be partly cloudy instead of mostly sunny. I will, that'll bug me all day. And so I'm always trying to better myself, better my um, message, better my explanation of things. And really, I'm just trying to get the message across and just trying to stay on top of my game because I know people are gunning for this job. <laughs> yeah. And I love what you said, where you're really trying to improve yourself, but at the same time, being in the present moment and saying that you're lucky, yes. that you're lucky to be oh, in yeah. the industry. You're not just focusing on being better. You're balancing it out and saying, I'm so lucky. Yep. And at the same time, I'm going to move forward. Yes. Yeah. And I, I know how fortunate I am to get this position. I, I know yeah. a lot of people, you know, want to make it to here, that to New York, you know, to Chicago, to Miami. And sometimes you just don't get there and, and it happens. You just got to work on yourself and, and got to keep pushing. And a lot of people are going to shut your doors in your face. They did it to me my entire career. And, you know, you just got to keep trucking along, keep believing in yourself. And eventually you'll get to where you go with a little bit of grit and a little bit of hard work. Is there something that you have learned and then you apply it in your daily routine? One thing that I've applied and one thing that I learned working in TV, I mean, I started interning as soon as I could at age 17 uh, during the summers with Sue Palka. Uh, as soon as I could get an internship and I was able to get an internship, I worked with their channel five in DC. I worked with John Benier at WRIC in Richmond. As soon as I could get those internships, I did. Now, some of these people I, I noticed can't be the most pleasant towards other people. And especially as me as an intern, I always noticed the people that were not particularly nice to me or just didn't give me a, a peace of mind. So one thing that's kind of kept me going, and I think this is kind of a life lesson, no matter what field you're in, you want to be nice to everybody. Sue Palka told me, listen, this business is way too small to burn bridges. And she was absolutely right. It's really small business. So you always want to be nice to people. I treat everybody exactly equal. My directors, mm -hmm. my producers, the people that are writing for me, the people that are running the cameras, because those are the people that are making you look good. So again, that is one big lesson that I've learned that you always want to be nice because I do remember the people that weren't so nice to me as I was on this journey then you see them later and, you know, you get to be their peers or something like that. So I'm always incredibly nice and I'm always incredibly direct. Uh, and that's another thing I think women struggle with. I'm always incredibly direct. I will take time out of my day to ask you how your kids are. I will learn the name of your kids. You know, I want to know that I think has kind of pushed me. Those are the lessons I've learned just to be nice to people and treat people as you want to be treated. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, kindness goes a yep. long way. Yeah. Long especially, way. especially now in days. I mean, we talk about kindness all, you know, for the last several yeah. years. And thank goodness that has become such a lesson. This is a very competitive business. You're, you're trying to get to the top. You know, some people will kick people while they're down. And, and that's with any business, you know, any competitive business. But you, mm -hmm. you want to keep your head on straight. You want to be kind to people and you want to keep pushing yourself at the same time. Eloquently said. Eloquently <laughs> <said>. <laughs> now, do you have a favorite quote that has instilled the, the woman who you are today? Uh, you know, it's so funny that you say this and ask me this. I do have a quote. 
So I am a big music fan and my absolute favorite singer is Janis Joplin. One of her quotes was, don't compromise yourself. You've all you've got. And I've always lived with that quote uh, ever since high school. I think that was my quote in my, uh, my senior year in high school. I think that was my quote in my yearbook. Because you want to go to your full potential. You don't want to compromise yourself. Even if you have a cheering section, whether it be your parents, whether it be a support group, or whether you're doing it by yourself, you're the only person you're responsible for. So you want to max out your potential. You don't want to be less than. Uh, you want to have confidence in yourself because you've got to get through this life by yourself. So you don't want to compromise anything. You just want to keep pushing. You keep your eye on the prize. You go to that prize and you win that prize. So uh, that has really been kind of one quote that I've actually instilled in my life. And it's kind of worked out for me, <laughs> I guess yeah. you should say. Yeah. And, you know, saying that you want to be the best version of yourself and reach your potential. Is there anything that you'd like to share to the women listening on how to be the best version of themselves to continue to rise? Yeah. You know, you, you just got to imagine, like I said, I set a goal for myself and some of them were uh, unrealistic. One point I was like, oh, I want to go on today's show and do all this and I want to be <laughs> on the max. And, you know, that that ended up not working out where I wanted to be. And then at one point I'm in my 30s, I was like, I don't want to move to New York. That was crazy. I don't even know what I was talking about. I wanted to set a goal. And I, like I said, I set my goal at 33. I wanted to be in the D.C. market and I was off by year. And I remember at 33, I was like, gosh. I didn't quite make it, but that's all right. I kept my eye on the prize. So you just want to imagine where you want to be in this life, where you want to go. And then you go there, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it takes. Right when I got out of college, I couldn't find a job. I mean, I sent tapes everywhere. I sent them to Hawaii where I couldn't even pronounce any of the uh, <laughs> locations. I'm glad they didn't hire me because I would have never been able to pronounce a lot of the uh, towns there. But, you know, I sent them to Montana, South Dakota, Florida, and I kept getting these letters. Oh, you know, you'll be considered nothing. And then I'd hear it back, nothing. And that happened for a year. And I got to a point where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. But, you know, I kept my eye on the prize. I was substitute teaching of all things, trying to send out tapes, which was a full-time job. And so I just said, you know, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. One point I had signed a contract to coach soccer. I played in college and I coached a high school soccer team. The day that I signed a contract to coach the soccer team, I got a job as, an in, uh, as a producer at Channel 5 in D.C. And I was living in Winchester, which was an hour and a half away. So I was coaching soccer in the afternoons in Winchester. I would go to D.C. and be at work at 2 a.m. And I'd work from 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then I'd drive back, coach soccer for high school girls until 7 or 8 wow. or 9, go to sleep, and then drive back. I mean, there were several times where I'd slept in my car along I-66 because I was exhausted and I had to, you know, pull over in the middle of the morning. I kept that up. It was an exhausting. Absolutely. But I kept it up because I saw where I wanted to be. I knew I could make it. I'd go practice for hours upstairs and have, you know, them roll on it, maybe in my boss's TV, just so they could see me work the green screen, you know? And so mm -hmm. I was a little sly and slick with that. But I say to women, like best version of yourself, just imagine you at the highest point are where you want to be, where you want to be in this life, no matter whether it's your job, no matter which with your family, and then just go do it. And whatever it takes to get there, you got to do it. Yeah. Imagine it and then manifest it. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, this is perfect for the five <laughs> because what you just said, that's like a wonder woman already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the first five question is wonder woman, Linda Carter, 
or Wonder Woman Gal Gadot? Oh, I have to go Linda Carter because I am yes. old school. Linda Carter's also from around here. She lives in Bethesda, Maryland. I I saw her one time and I think I fangirled out. And this was a decade <laughs> or so ago. I saw her like in a parking lot at like Bed Bath & Beyond. I was like, oh my gosh, that's Linda Carter. Yeah, definitely Linda Carter because homegirl broke barriers. Being Wonder Woman, when women didn't have that kind of outlet and she was showing little girls, hey, you can do this. This is, you know, this is you. Be a Wonder Woman uh, in the 1970s. So I have to go 100% Linda Carter. That is awesome. Yes. <laughs> and I agree. I agree. Now, if you can invent one thing, what would it be? For me, I'm drawing on my own personal experiences. So one experience that I did have in February of 2020, I had a stillborn birth. So um, mm. I had a son that was born stillborn. And I will tell you, having a stillborn son and going into the pandemic was absolutely most ingredients for a nightmare. Oh, my um, gosh. oh it was yeah. awful. It was awful. So I, you know, I was thinking about, you know, all sorts of things that I can invent. And I don't know if this will be a popular answer, especially with some of my uh, psychology friends out there. But one thing that I would probably invent, and I don't mean to take this podcast down a little notch, but uh, in terms of sadness, but one thing I'd probably invent um, that I know a lot of people have dealt with is something to abolish grief. And I, I Freud, yeah. Sigmund Freud would absolutely disagree with me. I, I know I've read his papers on grief uh, written over a hundred years ago, but something that would absolutely abolish grief. I think grief obviously moves in its own time <laughs> and mm -hmm. it has mm -hmm. been not only a life lesson for me, but also something that, you know, a lot of people deal with that they never quite get over. And it, grief is just a, a, an emotion that some good things can come out of it. But boy, if I could have something that could take it away a little bit, I would love to invent anything. And I think anybody who's dealt with grief uh, would agree with me to that extent. I don't know what that would look like, but I would invent something that would at least ease the pain or completely get rid of grief, uh, at least for a moment, because that is some of the worst emotion that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But uh, but yeah, I would invent something that would probably abolish or at least weaken the, uh, the uh, emotional stress of grief. Just take the edge off a little bit. Drawing again from personal experience, that would be definitely something I would invent <laughs> at this yeah. moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah or fast forward. <laughs> Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> All right. Now let's see the last one. If you could invite one historical figure over for dinner, who would it be? Well, this was uh, another great question. And nobody's ever asked me this before. And I know there's like tons of uh, job interviews. People ask this. As I said, I'm a, I'm a big music fan. One person that I would absolutely have for dinner um, that I've been a fan of a long time would be Billie Holiday. I, I am a big blues, jazz, uh, especially 1920s and 30s jazz. Uh, I love Bessie Smith, and Bessie Smith was one of Billy's uh, influences. Billy Holiday, to me, I saw the movie, the original Lady Sings the Blues, back when I was uh, probably 12 or 13, which is when Billie Holiday was dropping out of high school. Then she went to work in a brothel. I mean, she was fighting off a rapist at, at age 11. I, and then she took herself... Uh, in the 30s and 40s, when, you know, black women were being murdered for the for the color of their skin. And she took it to singing, you know, on a national level and just incredible singer and dealing with all the racism. And obviously she was dealing with her own demons and, and her drug abuse and her alcoholism. But I would absolutely love to sit down and talk to her and just be like, how did you pull yourself out of Baltimore and bring yourself up to, you know, Billie Holiday and where you are right now. So, uh, or where you were then in, in the thirties and forties. 
her story is absolutely incredible. Her life is fascinating to me. So like I said, I just want to be like, how, how did you do this? Because there's so many people that get stuck in that rut and, you know, have bad childhoods and, and can't pull their bootstraps up and don't have any outlet. Uh, and she found one in the 30s and, you know, 20s, 30s and 40s. And she found one. And I just, like I said, I just want to ask how, <laughs> how did she yeah. do it? It's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Now, this is how I want to start every Monday <laughs> with an energetic, fun, and inspiring conversation. Thank you so much again, Lauren, for Absolutely. your time. Absolutely. This was such a joy. So, yeah, and I listen, we're big believers in STEM. Both my colleague and myself, Amelia Draper, are, you know, believers in the STEM program, especially meteorologists. And that's kind of the last note I want to tell you. I, I was talking to, right before preparing for this interview, I was talking to one of my, uh, friends who's a chief meteorologist down in Florida, and she is one of 8% of chief meteorologist women in wow. our field on TV. And only 29% of women make up all TV weathercasts or meteorologist positions. So it's a mainly men-driven field right now, and it still has. And, you know, it hasn't changed a lot. Finally, we're getting away from the weather girl kind of connotation and, yes. and switching it to meteorologists. And that's kind of been a big movement within my field. But yeah, it's, it's incredible. So both Amelia and I are trying to work with that. And Allison Ray is her name down in Florida, who's the chief meteorologist down there. And she honestly, she's the only woman that I know uh, that is a chief meteorologist. Now, I know I know there's several others, but she's the only one that I know personally. And I've been in this business for 20 years. Wow. So it's, it's incredible. Um, so hopefully, as people see us and, and see women role models and, and young girls have the visualization of, man, I want to do that. Hopefully that'll start changing the minds of some of our young girls coming up yeah. in the STEM world. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because, you know, we make females make 50% of the population and yeah. we want the girls to be part of that future for shaping that future. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so we can get some of these barriers broke down and we can start getting the equal pay as well. And that's another thing, you know, that we're, we're trying to uh, figure out in our field. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done, and we're hoping the next generation can help us out with that as, as we keep pushing forward to get these uh, young girls uh, motivated to get into this really, really fun and just satisfying industry uh, that is STEM. Yes, yes, well said. Now, you may all find Lauren on Instagram at the handle Lauren Ricketts NBC, and that's Lauren with a Y, R-I-C-K-E-T-T-S. NBC, Lauren Ricketts, NBC. Until then, keep inspiring girls and women from the classroom to the boardroom.